Welcome. You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Nordics, a podcast constructed to enrich our tech community by connecting some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I am Christopher Asbridge, and I help connect businesses with talented freelancers, and I will be your host. Today, I am joined by Simon, Noor, Frederick, and Jacob. And today, we're going to discuss the issues of being a scale-up CTO and tech leadership. Quite an interesting one to go for. Now, before we delve in any deeper, let's do a round of introductions. Simon, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yes, thank you very much, Chris. My name is uh, Simon Vigstarnius. Um, I've been working with computers since I was 12, and uh, got a master's in artificial intelligence, as well as a little bit of industrial engineering. That, that's where my interest for building companies and startups come from. My professional experience ranges from working at Opera, which is a company with about a thousand employees around the world, where we're competing with giants such as Google. And my main responsibility there has been with DataOps, which is the entire life cycle of data. Everything from data strategy to analysis to reporting on business insights for stakeholders. I've founded three startups, two of which I'm active in right now in AI and robotics and, and data. Uh, in terms of the AI field, I've been participating in three world championships in robotics where the unique feat is that we're more robots than humans on place. Last time we participated from Linköping University where I study, we ended up in third place this summer in Bangkok. And today I'm the CTO of Find My Factory, which is a modern sourcing platform in Europe. And we want to, first and foremost, we want to tackle the market by a better way to find sustainable production. We want to kick competitors by strong AI and data approach. And we want to bring home production from places like China to Europe. We, we, where it can be of better quality, better for our environment, and a better price if you just would find these manufacturers that you're looking for. Uh, and about me, shortly, I'm from a rural place. So I come from the countryside in Sweden, moved now to Stockholm, where I'm in the heart of the tech startup. Okay, cool. Simon, thank you so much. Um, right, we'll come to Noor next. Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, I'm Noor. Um, I uh, have been, uh, I'm a computer engineer by profession. I have been working in fintech for most of my career. And three years ago, I decided to, to join um, a nice little edtech company called Binogi, where we have a mission to uh, improve and make education more fun for kids everywhere by offering products and tools that sort of level the playing field for kids with special needs, kids with language needs. Uh, and it's been a great journey for me sort of working with a startup. I've had a chance to work very closely with the product, which is my main area of expertise, I would say. Uh, but also in the past year, I've been uh, the CTO at Pinogi. Uh, we're a startup on the verge of becoming a scale-up in, in a round of investment right now. Uh, so we'll be very curious to hear about uh, today's topics that we're covering. It's a, it's a lot of people here with great experience and I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. Thanks for joining. Um, Jacob, we'll come to you next. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Jacob Bussell. I'm um, CTO of Modular Management. And as that, I'm leading our uh, software development. So both defining what to do and also um, hiring and, and nurturing our development team, making sure everyone uh, have a good fit and, and we have the right people in place and, and a great place to work so people stay on. And we really believe in, 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 uh, in a good and, and a healthy environment to, to grow people. Um, 
I'm a mechanical engineer by, by education. Uh, I don't do programming, uh, at least not professional, but uh, I, I always played around with, with computers and more a trial and error guy, uh, always figure out to solve my problems one way or another. So um, in that aspect, I can really help our developers to figure out a new approach to a problem they cannot solve because we have plenty of those. Okay. So, Fantastic. Well, th thank you, Jacob. And last but no means least, Frederick. Thank you. Uh, my name is Frederick Herman, working for a company named Isaac. I am the CTO and CEO for that company. We are developing cameras for the new train industry. And my role there is to hear both the, the R&D, who is actually coming out from Forsmark, one of the nuclear plants in Sweden and also taking care of the strategic supply chain and we are then actually trying like Simon to stay close to where we are located so I'm looking for local sources with local supply and also that trying to hire then local people with interest for the nuclear industry and my background from past is then 15 years from the mobile industry uh, Ericsson Siemens and Blackberry and five years at IKEA uh, in sourcing and trading and my background in school is material design or material physics that I'm starting up in Dalarna. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much, Frederick. Looks like Simon did a little celebration. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, my place, Dalarna. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, now we've established a context of each other. Let's move on to the topic uh, focus. I know we've reached out to you. You're all CTOs. You're all at scale-ups. You all have very similar issues. So it's good to delve into them and just discuss them a bit further. Now, let's start off with Frederick. You came to me with a question of saying how to close the gap between sales and R&D and the understanding of time frame of R&D activity. Can you want to divulge a little bit further for us? Yeah. Uh, when you're a small company, you're actually grabbing after all business you can get. And that could be quite hard or harsh for an R&D team to develop and extend a product portfolio to satisfy the sales. And then on the other hand, sales is always trying to sell whatever they can sell to get money into the company. So they're promising a lot to the customer that we actually have to uh, not develop the wheel one more time, but you have really to find quick solutions to satisfy the customer that's actually been buying something that's not existing on the market. And that's also given me a problem for the supply chain and sourcing to source the material and build it uh, in the plan of what the sales company, the sales guys has been selling it to their customers or our customers. That's a super interesting uh, question you have there, Frederick. So uh, I'm, I'm just curious when, when you're saying that um, it's, it's hard to close the gap here between sales and R&D, um, I'm wondering how involved are the sales team in your development process? Uh, that's a problem. They are really not involved in it. That's how I would like to close it. I, I, I need in the startup to scale up. Uh, the sales team and R&D need to be much closer, have an understanding of what we are talking. We're using different languages. Uh, CTOs and engineers, we're using one language and the sales is using one language. And I would say in right now, it's 50, 60% we don't, we don't really speak the same language. It sounds like uh, everyone else here can help me with this uh, because everyone here is also very experienced. But I think relying on, in this case, agile methodology, agile methods, which, is, which has the people in the center, that in order for that to work, you need to communicate between 
each and every team that in the center of being agile is communicating and setting up some sort of infrastructure or process that involves the sales team into the R&D in some way that makes them understand how long a feature takes to develop and so on. That's something that we have over at Find My Factory where we, we have regular weekly meetings where we involve our sales team in the development process, not on the depth, of course, but on a high level to make sure that they are up to date and we know what their needs are. For instance, if, if we look, look at the sales team as a customer to the tech that we're developing, we need to be close to the customer so that we can align our development process to the sales team so that they can better understand how they should not sell air in all the cases like you're describing. What are your takes on this, Nor? You're raising your hand. Yeah, I think this is typically the sort of problem you um, and companies would deal with as you're growing. I mean, for now, maybe you have a couple of sales teams, a couple of markets that you're targeting as the company grows and you have more teams with different focus and different requirements. Communication becomes even more a key aspect here. So having key roles there like product owners or product managers is a really important concept to introduce uh, at this stage, I would suggest, because they will manage the communication and the synchronization of the requirements that are coming from the markets versus requirements that are maybe coming from the tech department around infrastructure or handling tech debt and things like that. Um, And sort of being able to balance the two to give your customers the best product for their needs, as well as meeting sort of the company's needs as well from that. Yeah, for for, for me, uh, your question is is spot on to to our product. So I I need to be careful here so I don't enter into a sales pitch. Uh, But um, what you say, um, engineering, sales and supply chain do not... uh, per se, uh, integrate well. So they, they all have a, a different view of the world. And that is what we are trying to solve by having a, a common product architecture where you kind of, you, you you need to figure out what are the sales selling on. They, they We call that commercial objects. And how do those uh, commercial objects, how do they tie to a product? So some of these commercial objects could be performance steps or features or something of, of your uh, product. And you need to figure out what it takes to develop those. And in the same way for manufacturing, uh, when they look at the potential outcome, how, what is required for them to source it, find suppliers, or do they need to set up a special process? Uh, what manufacturing volumes are they looking at? as you kind of can come together all all three functions to kind of build this common view, then you will at least talk the same language. And then from engineering point of view, you can set up in order to deliver something to this performance, I need to do all these things. And if sales figure out a customer who wants it, at least they know there are a ton of things that needs to be done. And if there's a lead time to that, so they can kind of manage expectations or they can tell the customer, if you want exactly what you want, what you're asking for, it will take you seven weeks to get it or, or seven years or, or, or have a, a wall, wall park. Or if you want something now, you can get this, but with uh, some deviations from your original request. So what is your highest priority? Is it lead time or is it the exact specification? And if you are in the nuclear business, I get the exact specification is, is the driving factor, but... Uh, but but that is what we are dealing with, uh, and unfortunately, we are probably too expensive for a startup. But uh, but that that is my advice: come together, so everyone knows 
that you are talking the same. You have a common definition of what your product is, and, and you have an understanding from all uh, point of views. What is the what is the consequence of going off the agreed um, uh, area? Your thoughts there, Frederick. What are your thoughts there? Uh, yeah, I agree on some point. However, it's always a question of me or if they would like to have a special request and I'm into another uh, uh, and also as well you're not so it's not like working for a big company big size company you always have limited with resources and if you would like to have a special request on a product it means that you maybe have to cancel or postpone ongoing other projects and then of course communication as you said is your very important thing to discuss I can take an example I gave to my sales guy it will take me Seven weeks for having the material in house. Oh, uh, I had seven weeks of delivery time for the goods, and he said good. Then I tell the customer that it will be, will be at his place in seven weeks, and I said no, 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 no. It's when I have it in our factory. And if I haven't said that to him, then he'd been promising our customer seven weeks of delivery time. When it's the seven weeks of delivery time for my customer to my factory. Yeah, I think that's always a challenge when you have a sales team that wants something to have been developed yesterday when in reality the the product development team or the tech team have a lot of things already in the backlog that are not necessarily visible to everybody else outside the team. And then you have constant sort of balancing act that the product owners have to do. So they have to make sure that anybody asking for a request is aware of what else is in the backlog, what is happening there, what implications it would have if we pull something out and bring something new into the picture. Uh, my, my understanding working with this for, for big uh, multinational corporations, not startups, but, but uh, we've been doing this for uh, almost 20 years I've been in this job, that sales often exaggerate uh, the differences to, to stand out, to make their offer special. And if you finally get to the end customer, if they understand, if they can get uh, almost the same performance for half the price and with a secured quality, uh, that will always be, be the case what they prefer. Uh, but the sales guy, he wants really to have that extra performance steps that the competitors cannot reach. And, and frankly, you don't know how to reach it either. So but you're the only one bold enough to, to try to sell it. And um, One thing that has worked well for us in the past is when we try and get sales to quantify what they're asking for. What's the impact of us building this feature? How much more are you going to be able to sell? Or what's, what is what benefit is it going to give to the product? And when you're able to get people to think along those lines, then they will do a bit more of researching into this and talking more to customers about whether this is actually something that we should uh, invest time into developing. So I think involving them as much as possible into the, the research, into what uh, goes into prioritizing building new things is is a really key factor here as well. Yeah, you're right. But, but as as Jacob said, it's one thing working for a big company, but working for a small company always have this icebreaker. Oh, we had the chance to get into that company. You really have to help me to fix it. And then we really work hard. And then sometimes that enough will be nothing. And I think that's really uh, I think that's really common for for this startup. Yeah. So, so, is it, so is it like these customers are asking for 
um, a, a function, uh, no matter what the exact performance level, uh, it's new to you and requires new things, or is it like they are, we want what you have, but we want it to be a little bit more, a little bit faster, a little bit uh, higher resolution or whatever. Um, no, is no, it that? No, no, it's normally that they only would like to have an other type of mechanical solution. Okay. So, so could it be that you say, yes, we can do this, but it will be an extra cost. Uh, but if you do it with our original proposal, then this will be the, the normal cost. So they have an option to, to choose whether they see that they can get it your way at one price and their way at another price and another lead time. Yeah, it, it will normally be like that. It will yeah. be some sort of special edition. All, all time when you're doing some special for our customers. Because I, I would assume you, you have some sort of roadmap. This is our plan. If there would be no customers, this is what we would do. So so every customer asking for those oddballs would disturb your plans in your way to, to achieve the, the, the scope of your product. Yeah. So then it really should be worth it. Yeah, it, it's a balance between doing the satisfying the sales and also satisfying the R&D because having R&D people running back and forth, jumping around, that makes them always a little bit nervous. An engineer is more into facts and that they need to stay to the roadmaps and the project plans and so on. And sales people, they're more ad hoc. Oh, we got the question. We can see if we can deliver it. What is the delivery time? How much will it cost? When can I get it? Yeah, yeah. We, um, I find R&D people are rather quite happy to, to that challenge. They yeah. never say something is impossible. They always say they fix it. But then you yeah. have the problem of supply chain because you need to deliver with quality on time, yeah. something you've never done before. Exactly. But I like what you mentioned earlier, Jacob, around being transparent with the customer around, we can do this in this much time or for this cost, or we can provide this solution that will that we can deliver much faster, that's more in line with our product. And I think the key part of that is understanding what problem is this customer having? Why are they asking what they're asking for? Because uh, I suspect many customers will have a similar problem and each one will come with a very different and individual solution based on the expertise they have in-house, based on how they think they can best solve it. So if you could be the supplier that's understanding this and solving it for one customer, you have the possibility to, to sort of uh, offer that to, to others as well and to uh, be more um, and sort of, yeah, be more transparent with your customers around what uh, experience your team can bring here and what uh, what they've come across from uh, other places as well. I love that uh, idea because what you're talking about there, Noor, is an opportunity to get even closer to the customer. Finding, of course, we're talking about managing expectations there, but there's also an opportunity. If, if a customer is asking for something that you don't have, then that's an opportunity to to delve deeper into seeing, well, what is it that you're asking for? And seeing if it should be a higher priority than, than the current plan, because build, build, building the things that the customer wants, not necessarily what they ask for, of course, but it's our job sometimes to translate what someone says down to the technical level. And if we find another need, maybe the market is changing or similar, or maybe we need to develop the product we offer further to be able to satisfy more customers in the market. So, so it's it's, Firstly, managing the expectations from your current standpoint, but also for the customers that you cannot deliver as the sales say, 
finding out what are their needs actually. And then of course, setting up some rituals so that the sales team can be more up to date and, and knowing what they can offer in a reasonable time frame. Okay, Frederick, do you have any sort of closing thoughts there? Uh, no, I, it's always a little bit tricky to do it because you need to satisfy all parts. Uh, but it's still, uh, all these requests is still developing and challenging my team that they had to think a little bit outside the box. Uh, you, you have to be some sort of team player. You can't play your own game. And it will also help the company to actually be visible on the market that this small company, they are able to help me with my certain requests and, and also to help me out of, sometimes they are in a really tricky situation that they really need it. And therefore they reaching out to a small company that they know that they will fix it for me. Even if it will take a little bit longer time, but it will still help us to fix Yeah, and I think clearly here with, with the type of problem that you're mentioning and the type of challenges there, this is very much for small sort of scaling up companies where people are wearing multiple hats. You're kind of sitting on CEO role, CTO role, in my case, CPO, CTO, and we're trying to balance all of these things and get something out there to the customer that meets their needs. And usually the case that is not necessarily enough people and you're trying to sort of uh, optimize what are you delivering to give that customer the, the biggest sort of uh, the best solution to the biggest problem that they have. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it's also putting quite funny demands on my shoulders. <laughs> as I said, I need to I need to satisfy the people. So it does make fun being uh, this type of role CTO in a small scale-up company, because the, the day is not the same when you go home the next day. That touches uh, a little bit on resources that, that we know that we have limited in, in startups. But it's I say also one thing, Frederick. It's uh, it's uh, I'm very happy for you that you have more on your shoulders than you can work work down so to speak because there are other startups that they don't have that opportunity so it's it's nice to see that it's something that that is working uh, for you make, making sure that you have something to do because where would we all be if we didn't have things to do right a nice problem to have it is <laughs> okay okay what we'll do then we'll move on to the next person Simon, we'll come to you. Um, yes. You came to me and said um, what are your biggest challenges when scaling up I love the question. Very simple, very relevant. Okay, to explain. Yeah. Yes. So uh, me being the youngest in this this meeting here, I'm very curious to learn about everyone else here. What your biggest challenges are are when scaling up? I have three depths to this question. Feel free to attack any of them. First one is uh, making sure that because Find My Factory, where I work, we're we're software company, and the first. Uh, dimension of this question is how making sure that infrastructure holds for growth. That means more traffic and more data to handle and using this data for insights and, and, and taking decisions. And secondly, making sure that we attract the, the right uh, talent. I know that you, Jacob, you talked a lot about managing the team, making sure that everyone is happy and, of course, getting the best people in the teams that we have and want to have when scaling up. And, and third, when scaling up, how, how, how do we keep keep the customer first and therefore business alive. So any of those three depths, feel free to attack any of those questions. Yeah, I can I can jump in there. I think it's, um, it's definitely something that we're thinking a lot about at Binogi. We have great tech team right now um, that works in a very good way and we are working in a very agile way. So we are organized in the best way that we think would solve our 
current challenges uh, to deliver the main thing that things that we've committed to for the short term. As we grow, uh, I think it's an important thing for the CTO to also realize that I'm not the person who's going to come up with all the solutions here on how we can organize ourselves. I think an important part of uh, this type of role is to make sure that you bring in talented people into the company that you can let go of some of these decisions and trust people with them. I think the the team that's on the ground and is aware of the technical challenges can make a very good informed decision. And as long as you have a safe, secure environment where you work, people uh, feel that they can come up with decisions, ideas, and that they won't be penalized if it doesn't work, that you can accept that sometimes we learn from failing, from not doing things properly, and then moving on to do them a different way and try a different thing. That pinpoints something I read in the book, Lean Startup by Eric Rice. Oh, that's a great. Sure that uh, yeah, it's a great book. Anyone listening should definitely buy a copy of that book if you're in the startup scene. Because some something you say saying then or that is crucial for any startup is creating that environment to make sure that everything that we do is something that we learn from, and we want to learn to come even closer to the customer to learn them and to make the services that they they deep down really want but may not be the things that they ask for. That's a great suggestions there. Yeah, I think I think the, one of the core concepts that comes, I believe, from that book is fail fast. Whatever you're trying to do, it's okay to fail fast and then you should be able to recover and come up with new ways of doing something, whether it's a feature that you do for the customer and you want some learnings right away or whether it's the way that you organize yourself in a team and then Doing retrospectives, I think, is a key factor of uh, any sort of team working together so that we have a forum for bringing back feedback, bringing ideas on what has worked here, what hasn't worked, how do we tackle it, and then owning what we need to fix there. Yeah, I, I would like to comment on on your other question around scaling and, and that kind of thing. Uh, Attracting the main uh, talent. Sorry? Attracting the main talent. Yeah, yeah, or, or scaling your, your technology uh, yeah. as it's about uh, predicting what will happen in the future. And you can have an idea of what you believe the future will give you. And uh, that is probably not what the future will give you. Uh, so you need to be adaptable. And I think that is the most uh, important thing. So, yes, have an idea. Uh, how the future is and, and how, how you can play with it. But most of all, make sure that whatever you do, you are adaptable and you can always evolve your, your setup. Like we are not very strict on our data model because we know we have a very uh, powerful way of, of evolving it uh, from every sprint. So whatever adoption we need to do, we can just uh, quickly modify it and, and evolve the data model. Uh, so we don't need to spend like one year to plan for the perfect data model for something that we might never implement. And then customer comes with special requests and uh, takes us a whole other uh, on a whole other journey. So, so what are your main methods? You, you talked uh, began with talking about predicting because that's something that we are working uh, with as of right now, predicting how the future will be. Because it's of course you had to begin somewhere with what we wish that we have. That is the, yeah. the roadmap, but but also predicting and managing expectations with others in the managing team, the the team of executives. How do you make sure that the, the future that you've set for your companies in terms of technology will be at least somewhat met? How do you predict, predict this in a, in a 
better way than guessing? Oh, that is a tough question. Um, I would, we like to do like uh, plan A, B, C, D scenarios. Like if this would happen, this is how we would deal with it. And then, then we, every kind of question we can come up with, we try to figure out and have at least one answer how we would deal with it. Uh, then when something happens, uh, it's probably something in between one of those prepared questions, but at least we have thought about it and we have some sort of idea and we know consequences and we know in which area there's like really expensive uh, to go. So we can kind of steer away from that if possible. And we can know if, if uh, we find uh, some area more attractive looking into the consequences once you're done Plan A, it will take you to a new spot, and then you have new opportunities. And from there, you have plan C and D. Uh, and you can have like your preferred way, and you can try to find customers to take you on that route. Uh, as we talked before here, it's always about the customer uh, and having them to drive your development because you cannot develop everything. And then when you're done, you offer it to the market. So you need to offer something just before it's ready uh, and hope that the customer is buying what you yeah. are about to uh, deploy, kind of. So, so um, um, yeah, you, it's always a bit scary in the beginning because you, you never have the product that you have to sell. You just need to have the ability to, to finalize the product once the customer wants it or, or, or uh, at least... <laughs> They shouldn't be waiting too long for it. So they should still be happy and pay your your, your bills. And, and attracting the right talent, that is also uh, a question I, I have. So so I don't have an answer to that, but I have a question to it. So let's take it later. I was going to say, I think the coming up with scenarios and trying to sort of prepare for every scenario can, can become really time consuming and really difficult to deal with. And the only thing you're guaranteed is that time and, and will surprise you. And there will be some scenario that you haven't thought of. I think what you were talking about with adaptability is a really good approach here. Start with the minimum viable product that you think the market needs and build an, um, an approach on how to develop that in a quick way as you learn more about the users. Um, at Binogi, we're becoming a little bit um, obsessed with sort of a growth, a product growth mindset where you have something that you think the customer needs and then experiment and explore different ways that you can offer different features. So A-B testing, working on uh, what happens if we offer this feature this way versus that way and letting the data sort of guide you into what the market needs. Uh, I think the scenario is a really good starting point and really good thing to lead the experimentation effort with. And then from there, you can sort of just make sure that your product is built in a way where it's adaptable. It's easy enough to change and move as the market and as the user needs come. Yeah. Uh, something I'm picking up from both of you is that Failing to plan is planning to fail here and making sure that that's something I'm going to bring with me to my development team to think more of the scenarios that can happen so that we can more adeptly adopt the future that we, in, in some case we need to have an, an idea of the things that could happen so that we can be more prepared to adjust. The, the roadway that we're on. Uh, and my understanding, you are more a, a into the technology CTO. You are uh, you have programming skills yourself, and and you can just jump in and sit next to the other developers and, and fix it. Uh, where I, I recognize from from Nora and myself, we are probably more uh, on the product side 
understanding uh, the product definition, what, what is required, and then we can help in, in evaluate different uh, technical solutions and, and taking uh, decisions that are, 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 are good for the business. So sometimes it, for me, it's a bit frustrating because I cannot really solve the problem. I can just influence uh, and, and exactly help others to solve them. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's one of the key things that I'll be challenged with later because in, in our startup, we, we uh, have a lot of roles on our shoulders. And one of the things that I still can do is actually jump in and fix something in the code. But as, as we grow, that's one of the challenges I know that we'll be facing that I will not be able to do that. And that, be, that will be very frustrating moving more when you know how to solve something, but your time is limited to managing the company technology strategy. So it's a, I'm very happy to be here to learn so much from you too. Same here. I think the CTO role, it can be such a huge umbrella that covers so many things. And like you said, Jacob, some CTOs are very hands-on in the code and they know the tech stack fully. Others, probably like you and me, we're more sort of strategic and can help with decision making more than sort of in the, being able to jump in the trenches with the team and, and solve the problems that way. Um, and I think that's the challenge with sort of being in um, startup scale up is that a lot of things can fall into the role. But as you grow, then you have also the opportunity to declutter the role a little bit. So bringing in somebody who can take some of these decisions uh, while you focus on other things. So, for example, uh, if we go back to the original question around scaling and the challenges with that, recruitment is one aspect, of course, and it's always a challenge recruiting in, in the Europe in general. Uh, also in, in Sweden and Scandinavia, it's a whole extra level of it. There's so much demand for developers and technical people, but an important aspect is retention. How do I retain the good people I have in my team? And sometimes that becomes a neglected thing. And I think that's one of the ways that you can attract other talent is that if you have people that are happy working for you they still feel that they are challenged that they can uh, grow in their roles and they have such opportunities there and and that's an important part that i would say a cto could play here as the company grows how to get those teams to be functioning how to get everybody to be happily working there and what to meet their needs with the, the jobs that we have on offer this sounds like it's uh, moving toward uh, jacob's questions right away they're building building teams and, and similar yeah I'm leading to that. <laughs> well, let's actually move on then jacob obviously that ties in quite nicely um so jacob you came across you saying you're struggling with or as we revamp is how do you set up another team essentially do you half the team or do you um make a brand new team from scratch so what's your thoughts there yeah, so we, we have been scaling our business for a while. So, so we started off with a half-time uh, developer on contract and, and now we're up to a development team of uh, 10, 11. Uh, and in the beginning, we, we struggled a lot. Uh, we, we acquired a lot of really skilled people with, which could show evidence, but it, the team was not working. Yeah. So, so people were quitting because they did not like the spirit and so on, and and uh, and that made me realize how important the chemistry among the people was to build that trust, to build uh, an environment where everyone are comfortable. So uh, I'm just saying we, we had the wrong mix of people. I'm not saying that any individual were wrong, but but didn't work out uh, as we as we hoped. 
and that was a big learning for me and, and I've never seeked a, a management position but uh, it just came to me as I had to, to build this team in order to, to fulfill the product. So about a year ago, we, we sized up about, we increased the team by 60%. And uh, we are very happy about how we did it. We involved several people in the staff to, to, to find the people. We had our own tests developed for, for checking the people's personalities and so on. And um, everyone was onboarded. We had them commit the, the first the production code, the first sprint and so on. Um, and now we are also seeing our product being recognized as we want uh, and, and we see a, a really good um, future so we have now a plan b taking shape so we know if it goes this way the next logical thing would be to, to start a, a complementing product <laughs> and now we are at that lucky position so we are about to expand and uh, have something to be run uh, and very much independent of, of the current product but with a close relationship so now I need to set up a, a base team for, for this new product. Uh, so expanding again with 50% from what we have. So uh, I can then either split my current team that works and we have an exceptional culture and everyone is really happy and, and no one is yeah, looking at what I understand at least for, for other options. Um, so I can split that team and risk it and adding more people to the uh, original team that works so well, or I can build a new team in parallel with all new people and build a new culture that will definitely not be like the first one. It will be perhaps similar, uh, perhaps the same values, but it will for sure be different because there are new people and, and new individuals. And and I'm a little bit puzzled of how, how to um, uh, think there. So, so um, uh, have you had any of these struggles or, or experiences for something or, or being part of it or, or what, what are your thoughts? I feel like this is one of those things that's a wave that's going to come my way at some point because we are still um, too small to think about this right now. But um, we are recruiting and we are going to be facing that uh, in the very near future. Um, my thinking around it is that we have, at least at Binogi, we've spent a lot of time thinking about what makes a good Pinogi culture and and what kind of people work very well in the company and it's the sort of thing that we've tried to incorporate into how we recruit new people uh, but I think having somebody who's been in the company for a while being part of new teams will sort of spread that even more and uh, and pass it on as well as having the knowledge of what is you know what uh, what's in our current tech stack or things experiences and things we've tried before and maybe didn't work so well and and things that we want to try uh, so from my perspective, expanding if you're going to do that and start new teams or split the team into different constellations, it always makes sense to kind of try and spread a good sort of culture. Um, later on, of course, when you have more established teams, then keeping the teams together has its own advantages. If it's people who know exactly how they work with each other and they have a good way of getting things done, then I wouldn't break that up too much at a later point. But I think going from very small to kind of scaling up to a few teams, it, it adds a lot of value to keep some of the early people in the company and the new teams too. So, so your advice would be to to, to split and, and then fill up the, the original team to be 
so, so, the, so the core of the two teams can then bring on that culture. Yeah, I would, I would say that's a good start. And of course, it depends very much on the people that you have. If they're ready to take on new responsibility of bringing new joiners and and educating them to some degree, then you're opening up those opportunities for them. If they are happy just working on what they're doing right now, then it's not the sort of right person to to do this with. I think after some point, you will be the best to know what would work here and and with sort of working with your team together on some of these decisions, you can come up with the best solution that works for your company. That's a very good point that you mentioned there, Norm. When I uh, do my master's in industrial engineering, these were some of the challenges. There were textbook examples. Uh, The first one being culture, of course, something that you're afraid of breaking when you say that, uh, Jacob. And, And one, key way, or you can always say, of course, that culture sits in the wall, right? That's one aspect of it. But but the main way that people get into cultures is by socializing, actually. That's why, from the science approach, uh, it's a good idea to bring someone that has been in the company for a while, starting up their new team, to be able to bring forth the culture, but also coming in with more senior knowledge in the teams. This is something I, I saw when project leading 15 people in the world championship team from Sweden, that, that uh, we, we needed to put more senior people from, from our team to guide the new people. Uh, no matter the new people's knowledge, if they were junior developers or seniors, they needed someone who had been there for a while to guide them there. And then the, the, the second problem is that you, you, both, both uh, Nora and Jacob, you mentioned this uh, in, in my case, that uh, one of the challenges of new managers, if you put uh, one person that has worked well in your current team to manage a new team, this, uh, is, is that they may be working uh, perfectly fine in, in their current state, like Norm mentions, maybe they're not the right pick for that position. And, and why is that? It's because people who are, let, pick me for, for instance, being very, uh, I'm a very good developer, if I may say so myself. But one of the challenges I face is that when I'm managing people, then all of this, all of a sudden, my, uh, forgive my math here, my 200% doesn't count anything if I have five people that altogether could give 500% rather than me trying to steer everything up myself. So that's one thing to, uh, this, that's what science mentions uh, and something I've seen there as well, that the people who are taking on these new teams, which should be someone that has been at the company, they need to be aware of these, let's say, beginner mistakes when managing teams, that now it's not only up to you. You have a team to to manage here, and their productivity together will be much more than you trying to solve all the problems yourself. So, so, so th- those are two things to to think about. Uh, that there are some textbook examples from the industrial engineering perspective. I feel like I've been spoiled on this front because even though I haven't worked sort of with code for many years now, over ten years, I have developers who have a really good sense of ownership. So coming exactly to that realization, like you're saying, Simon, in that, okay, I want to do all these cool things with the product, but actually I'm not enough and I don't have enough hours in my day. So can we bring in some people to help me with these initiatives? And that's exactly the sort of thing that you want to be starting to open the way for people working in your team to be able to do to, to because they know the product well, they know what it will benefit from. And if they can get that to, um, to share that knowledge and share that uh, inspiration to others in the team, they can deliver a lot more than one good person who, who can, you know, get their hands on keyboards and, and do some of this work. Well, yeah, yeah, it, that, Jacob. 
Yeah, uh, I was looking for for a more black and white answer that would make my life easier. But <laughs> no, but it, it's. Uh, I have it's, one for it's... you. Okay, take the okay. people that uh, do well, give send them away on some leadership course, and make them create this new team for you that you trust, and and help them create this uh, this culture that you now have that make yourself in your current team so successful. That's that's, that's something that I would do if I. Uh, which we will yeah. be doing soon, would, would build a, a new team. Yeah. I, I would keep the dialogue open with everybody in the team, you know, as you feel that you are approaching that point of being able to scale up, uh, to sort of sense the pulse with everybody. What is What interests you the most? Are you interested in actually leading a team or going maybe more in some technical um, depth with your role instead? And I think it's, yeah. it's the yeah. sort of thing that, of course, you will need to learn about, but maybe not necessarily going and doing uh, an intensive course, but taking it already some months in advance and starting that learning process and small size sort of problems and challenges to tease that knowledge and that experience out of people and, and help them be really good leaders if that's the direction they want to take. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what, what I've been thinking of is more being open with the current team and saying this is the, the future we're looking for. And we are open here, so I fully respect if you want to be in comfort and, and work with this product that we we all, all love, that we have, that we all master and and are comfortable within. Or if someone is seeking a new opportunity to really start on a new tech stack, uh, exploring all the new uh, hard hard learning weeks, uh, figuring out the new technology, and, and what, because it's a completely different challenge. Some some people just they want to be in control and know that confident that they know their, their, their trade and, and now you're going on, on into the unknown and you need to solve the problem. Out of their comfort zone, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and some people would like that. And, and that is yeah. they, they are seeking. So instead of, of looking for a different job where they can find it, we can find it here within our uh, and, and being foundation of the new team while knowing all all those routines, uh, how we do things, how we organize ourselves, all the practical things, and can be leading uh, newcomers in that. But the, the technical problems are, are, are new to everyone. Yeah, of course. One thing that we've recently been working with is setting goals. So not only company goals and and high level, but even for the team. So what are the main team goals that we're trying to achieve? And it could be things that we're doing fully right now or things that we wish to own in the future. Um, and I find those goals are really good lead for sort of showing people what they, what different areas and what different things they can contribute towards so that we reach the company goals. So looking at that, you can sort of start the conversation, at least we, we are responsible for these things in, in our team and our company. Which one do you see yourself contributing to in the future? Which one are you mainly doing right now? And it will give you that indicator of whether people are happy sort of diving deeper and sticking with where whether maybe experts or know a lot or if they are actually keen to take on different responsibilities and learn some things outside their comfort zone as well. Sounds like a good conversation you're having here, chaps, uh, ladies and gents. Yes. Because um, yeah. I think some Simon said before, he's talking about percentage-wise, I think it's definitely important to send someone on a leadership course because if you can create a culture and that synergy within a team, then you could have like the, the famous expression is one plus one equals three. 
because you, your team just feeds off itself. Like from my experience, um, when I started in this organization about two and a bit years ago, we were a small team. There's only five of us all together. Now we're a team of 20. Um, but we done something similar where we grew the team and then split the team into three different ways. But the culture changed. It changed a hell of a lot. But it, it, culture changed in a great way. We're now even more productive than we were two, two and a bit years ago. Um, and sometimes change brings about a lot of different things. Change can bring people may leave the organization, think, oh, this is not me anymore, which also affects the team. But then people can go, right, okay, this change is good. We can see the benefits of it. So as long as communication is there, I'd say that, that that's the strongest way moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, personally, I'm not so into uh, these leadership teams. Uh, I, I've been taking a few myself, or perhaps I'm, I'm the wrong student. But uh, but what I, what I picked up most of my uh, skills that I think I, I, I have a good use for is when uh, being part of my kids' uh, hockey and soccer teams, having uh, 20 kids uh, full of energy running around a, a, a field with, with balls or pucks and, you know, trying to motivate them to, to do the same thing uh, organized. So uh, kind of explaining the, the game we are trying to do here. That kind of uh, experience have taught me far more than any of the advanced leadership trainings I've been to. And that I is what I tried. Uh, the main thing most leadership courses should take away is that the number one leading characteristic is that you should lead by example. Because no matter what you say, if you don't show it by your body language and, and, and similar, if you don't lead by example, showing that you're willing to do what another team should do, they're going to follow the example rather than what you say. Going to the kids' example, that, that would be as a coach or training, showing the kids that this is how I do it, this is how we do it, with more experience in the back. And, and, and that, uh, be, people being social creatures, of course, we, we follow the, the, the examples, and that accounts for most of the leadership. And while listening, don't go to the courses then, just lead by example. Yeah, I, th I find the courses are sometimes really good for inspiring you to try new things, to to uh, change maybe some way that you've been set to do in a long time. But uh, I also find that uh, working with mentors is a really good way to sort of keep having somebody maybe outside your organization altogether that you can, can bounce ideas off, that you can have discussions with without it having influence necessarily on your team directly uh, and i found i can i have a network of mentors that i can reach out to when i'm stuck on something or i just want a second opinion but for people in my team it's worked in the past when we're trying to learn something new or do, do something like that where you can go and find a mentor we support people to go and find a mentor to learn a new skill or to try something new then you have somebody sort of on call to help you out, not just a one-time course as well. I think it's a good compliment. What, what I was recommending, sorry, I'm just jumping in here for this little discussion, is um, I'm not sure if you've heard of Franklin Covey. He's a very mm, famous, um, he created a book called The Seven Habits, and it goes through seven habits that people should need and adapt throughout the throughout the life and it, it's not just for obviously career and professional but it's also personal as well and it's how can people can enhance their skills and it leads up into different leadership traits as well so i'd I'd say if you're not a massive fan of all these courses that you may see, that might be a good building block to look at and focus on even further because um, that, that does summarize 
um, a lot around leadership and how, how to even just talk to people as well. That's what I would recommend anyway. But anyway, just, just conscious of the time. Jacob, what are your thoughts there? I know there's been a, quite a good discussion. Uh, but but, but I, I bring with me that, that uh, taking a seed of that good culture to put in the new team uh, is, is uh, an advice I, I, I will bring in. So instead of, of trying to preserve that and, and not touch it, like pressure is that something holy, that, uh, I shouldn't be afraid of, of taking some of, of that, um, uh, some of those elements uh, in, in, to, to found a new team on. Uh, that is uh, some that I, I will take with me, and then I will also be transparent with the team to uh, kind of present them the opportunity and also involve them. And that is part of our openness to always say this is what's happening, yeah, because people will notice and, and something is is discussed and, and and they will be suspicious. And it's better to be open and, and tell what's what's going on. And then they are free to reach out if they want to, how they want to uh, play in that, if they want to be in, in the original team or if they think that is a nice challenge. Yeah. Brutal transparency, I think, is always a good a good yeah. way to, when you're working in the same team. You're, at the end of the day, trying to reach similar goals and trying to, to you know, achieve yeah. the same things for your customers. Yeah. And, uh, transparency, yeah. Uh, and when in doubt, you can always follow the startup mantra that is fail first, fail often. So if you create a failing team, then you will bring back that from a mistake and learn from it and create an even better team in the future. Yeah, I'm not sure I will have the stamina to do that. Building teams is so exhausting. The whole hiring process, uh, the whole agony when you decide on someone and you bring them in, will they perform as you expect? And, and uh, how will that person affect the rest of the team? How will the team affect that person? Yeah, um, yeah, it's really uh, nice to be where we are right the, now, but, yeah. but you cannot preserve a good moment forever. You you, you need yeah. to keep it evolving. That's that's yeah. why we are startups. It's Simple like you're changing a key ingredient to a successful recipe and you're nervous how it's going to turn out, but it's sometimes. The, you know, it will surprise you at how, how it can be. Yeah, I was going to say, this, the simple solution is have a good recruiter to get the right talent in, but <laughs> I'm going to leave my sales pitch there. <laughs> uh, right, yeah. just conscious of, of the time, we'll move on. Um, Noor, you're the last person here uh, to talk about your questions. So as a CTO, what is your top of your learning wish list right now? And what do you think will help you your team or company in the near future? That's your question. Do you mind if you just divulge a little bit for us? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, coming from an ed tech, we're obviously obsessed about learning uh, and it's part of what we do. Uh, each team and each member gets to allocate almost 10%, sometimes more of their working time to learning something. So from my perspective, this is part, very much part of our culture and we try and have learning goals. We try and have... Um, different areas that we focus on. And I'm curious if you personally or in your companies do a similar thing. And as a CTO, what is on top of your learning list? That's a great question. I really like what you say there about uh, having some time to do something else and learning uh, or doing your work hours. That's some organizations thrive on it. For instance, Evolve, who created Steam and, and other ventures. That if you, if you, you never know if you let your team have say 10% of their time to work on their own project, 
that could be a feature that eventually is completed and also sold in your company. Uh, just to give one example, and and that's also something that we're talking about in in my team in Find My Factory, where it's uh, like like I mentioned earlier, we're having lots of things to do, and and it's so hard to find time to spare to have those more let's say fun times where you can develop or work on anything that you want to. But that's one of the like like crucial things on my wish list that I'm about to have going through in our company because having each developer in, in your team and other people they need to be able to learn because that will increase their competence and that will increase the value in the teams that you have at your company so so um, that's one of the top priorities I I have alongside of course uh, getting another team so that we have less to do mm-hmm. But for you personally, do you take some time to learn sort of new areas, whether very technical or around managing people? You mentioned some courses, things like that. Do you do you have something there that yes, you yes. are thinking would be very good to learn? Yes, I, I I have to. The, the the market is changing, especially in tech. The next year, you can see something else happening that changes the way we think about technology. Uh, something in AI or similar, uh, popping up for many years now. And one of the things that I I do take my time for is actually le- reading books. I think that one of the key things that has disappeared, at least at least for my younger generation, is to give time to to read books in in areas that you want to learn. I have one example when working at Opera, where there was one developer asking for a certain book, and and there was a it was a, such a good example from one of the managers managers saying exactly this that. Oh, you want that book? I'll order 20 because this is uh, you're learning more and, and creating more value. And, and so that's something that I have uh, that I'm doing, reading a lot of books in my area, not only uh, in coding, of course, but also management. Like I also said, Lean Startup is a book, Creativity Inc. that is uh, about leading more innovation within uh, Pixar and Disney Animation, for instance. Awesome book about leadership and creating the teams that creates innovation to, in, in their case, always have a top one selling movie in animation or 2D or 3D. So that, that, that's one of the crucial things uh, I, I believe I'm going to continue with and recommend to everyone else is read more books. Great. I'm going to be following you on LinkedIn. Please share recommendations. Absolutely. <laughs> what about you, Jacob? How do you do around the learning side of things? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not much of a book reader. Uh, I'm uh, more more like to follow debates on, on um, uh, websites and so on, to to read and search more interactively. A uh, hard time just probably there's so much of the work that is always poking, so I cannot find a, a long time to really get into a book. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to uh, look for. The next step, what what do my role need me uh, to know? Uh, what would be the next skill? Like in the beginning, we, we needed to figure out a, a secure source environment. So figuring out how, how to do that, where can I find help to, to do that? How do I know it's safe? Um, uh, later on, it has been much more about pricing. Uh, how do we set up our price models and, and how organize that? and, and uh, doing our own theory, what should be good for us, and, and then uh, figuring out that, that that was not accepted by customers and, and trying to learn um, common trend, accepted price schemes, and, and so on, uh, but still not uh, 
being aware of it so you can you know where you go offline or, or out in the unknown uh, as you are meeting big companies you are having trained or, or professional purchasers and they want you to fall into their patterns mm. uh, and they are not really a fan of very creative price models mm. uh, um, so always trying to read up on on, on uh, predicting what is my next challenge uh, and being prepared uh, having various opinions on, on how, how that uh, area of problem issue could be uh, solved or, or, or challenges within what you need to think of so so trying to to prepare myself getting familiar with lots of different subjects so so being knowledgeable uh, and as you as you said simon it's everything is changing so so you, you always you cannot be done there's always something new to figure out no exactly and i guess since you brought to this um uh, group the challenge around teams and how you grow them and how you uh, sort of manage those if you come across any interesting reading there that will be really cool to see or if you try out some of the things that we suggested today i'll i'll be very keen to hear from you on how that goes as well in the future. I think it's great to learn from each other as well, since uh, we're all sort of similar size companies and, and doing a lot of um, similar challenges at, at the moment. I think, I'm so uh, happy to, uh, uh, when I'm zooming out a little bit here, but uh, yeah, that, that question that you have here, Nora, and, and the fact that you, Jacob, say that we have to be constantly changing, that's something that I take with me. It, it doesn't matter how long you educate yourself or similar, but if you get one of my, the main takeaway I get from educating myself to an engineer is, is the fact that we, we learn how to learn so that uh, to take a, an example, when you're young and you're getting your driver's license, I got told by my teacher that uh, now that you have your license, it doesn't mean that you're finished. It just means that now you can practice by yourself. And, and, and that's a, a crucial way to adopt a mindset where we're constantly open we have an openness to new ideas and, and learning more things that makes, mm. uh, in my opinion, engineering so great is that we need to start forward. We need to innovate the future. And one of those ways is to keeping atop of things that are happening. There was a movie I saw. I think it's quite old movie. And, and um, uh, they were about to, to interview some successful business owner. And... Um, they got the wrong guy. They got the gardener uh, at the at the estate instead of the real magnets building the company. And uh, they were asking, "Can we take you for an interview for this? Uh, how you ma manage your your companies?" And he was just talking about, "Yeah, you need to 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 plant in 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 the spring, and you need to." Uh, you know, nurture and you need to water. Yeah, that is so profound. Uh, <laughs> Very deep. That, <laughs> that is how you build your business. Yeah, and then you need to weed. Don't forget to weed. <laughs> yeah, so so all these analogies kind of, but if you think of it, it it's very true. But it, it was a fun movie to, to look at, a, a comedy. But uh, I hate that I couldn't find the... The title of the movie but uh i would really recommend it to to um, as an inspiration it could be really simple um right yeah i mean i think uh, as i was saying as a learning company we're very aware of this and and uh, i think simon you said a really good thing there that you need to keep up the ability to learn something new and not just forget about that because a lot of us haven't been necessarily in school set up or, or studying for some time and you can easily get just set in doing things the way that you do them, not really look outside how they work right now. Um, from my perspective, it's something to really strive for that we can 
allow more time for this. So right now we do, for example, a day where we have no meetings allowed, where some people would use it for learning, others for just focusing on work problems. But I would like to have even a day every couple of weeks or so where it's a learning day. You go, you learn something and maybe do some knowledge sharing with the rest of the team around that. I think that would be a really nice setup and it would really motivate people to master some of the things that interest them. Okay, nicely, nicely. Does anyone have any closing thoughts there? You lost me a little bit there, but I think I was actually finished. I was saying that uh, one unfortunate ch challenge of people in this uh, this room here and also every ambition ambitious person listening to this is of course in terms of keeping on top of things and, and changing is that uh, as ambitious people we're we're never finished that's one of the problems we're facing uh, so, so that maybe gives some people some calm in knowing that it's it's okay to always feel that you have more to do uh, of course, it's it's uh, the way we move forward. Yeah, I like the gardener metaphor here that you brought, Jacob. I think uh, yeah. as you move more into sort of uh, the senior roles, it's a good way to think about yourself that you're not necessarily doing all um, sort of all the work there, but you're planting seeds, you're growing careers, and you you get support from uh, your team around you as well to keep things going and and. Uh, yeah, thriving. Yeah, yeah. The, I found a movie there. It's called Being There from 1979. So, oh, okay. <laughs> it's I, I recommend it. It's full of metaphors. But... Awesome. Okay, fantastic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we'll leave it there. This has been another Evolution Exchange podcast. I will just take this moment to say thank you so much for my awesome participants, and uh, Frederick, Jacob, Nor, and Sound. Thanks so much for joining today. Really do appreciate it and hope to see you next time. Thank you very much.